Welcome everyone. I am Jeffrey Goodman, the Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. And today is episode 11 of our new podcast interview series entitled Shreveport Bossier, My City, My Community, My Home. Uh, I'm, I'm tickled uh, to have today's guest who is Carranza Pryor, and I think you'll learn more about why I'm tickled as we start to converse today. So, Carranza, thanks very much for agreeing to be a part of this. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So, we'll hop on in. Uh, Carranza has not seen the questions, just like every other guest. So, um, let's start with a little background. You graduated from Captain Shreve in 1987, and I happened to graduate from Captain Shreve in 1992. And man, did your legacy loom large. It was mind-boggling how many times one of my teachers bragged on the greatness <laughs> that was Carranza Pryor. I don't want to embarrass you, but I do want to single out quickly a few of your accomplishments. Valedictorian of Captain Shreve, National Merit Scholar, Governor at Louisiana Boys State, undergraduate degree with honors from Harvard, law degree from Yale, and now Chief Counsel of LSU Health Shreveport. You moved away for a long time, living in Cambridge, New Haven, Birmingham, Charlotte, Atlanta. I may have missed a few. No, I think you got it. Okay. <laughs> so all of that to, to get to my question, which is, Carranza, what did you notice when you returned to live in Shreveport, Bossier? What felt the same? What felt different? Sure. Well, if you don't mind, before I Please. go into that, I've got to personalize this a little bit because this is really an honor for me to be here. And I... I think I've mentioned this to you before, but um, your family has been an important part of my life, my family, I mean, forever. In fact, um, when I was born here in Shreveport at Highland Hospital, back when it used to be on Highland, I apparently had some, there was some issue with the shape of my foot. And your father, an orthopedist, who I, from what I understand may have even been a resident, he was very early on in his career, he helped correct that. And my whole life, my and I know the relationship was more than that. You know, you, my grandmother, my mother knew your family, your parents, and there was a friendship there. But that episode, that you know, involvement, that connection has been strong with me and, and my family. So, just getting a chance to spend this time with you in whatever context is great. But you and your family have meant a whole lot to me, and in a very literal sense, have helped put me on firm footing. Um, to do whatever I have been able to do, in which I'm, I'm fortunate, um, and I'm fortunate to be, have a chance to be back. So, and um, with all of that, so the question kind of, you know, what have I noticed, what's different about Shreveport? What's different, what's the same, and, and what jumped out at you when you first got back here, or since you've been back? Sure, so it's interesting because it's, uh, what's, uh, uh, it's a it's a really a different perspective of a place when you're a child growing up and then when you're an adult, especially when there's been such a gap. So some of the differences may not have been differences. It's just a matter of perspective and seeing this place with new eyes and from a different vantage point. But I would say that um, I feel though pretty confident that some of the things that are the same. It's still um, it's some you know good and bad. It's still very much you know, a very livable, easy to get around place. A lot of very strong church-going, faith-based community. Um, on the maybe not so great side, there still is a fair amount of distrust between different communities, sometimes along you know, racial lines. There's also a there, there's also just a, a concern, I guess, about the future of the city and its, um, its long-term progress and growth. When I was growing up here, a lot of people 
who had talent and opportunities to go elsewhere seemed to do that. And, you know, and that was a, you know, that's one reason why I came back. I was always, you know, at the time thinking, well, so many of these great people are not coming back to Shreveport. I want to, I want to be a, a, be the exception. And it's something I didn't think it would take me this long to do so. But in but today, there's still a concern about, you know, what's Shreveport's future like? I know there was a, in the paper read a study that, you know, Shreveport was one of the um, it may, measured against communities of its size or larger, may have you know one of the slowest growing, if there was any growth at all, communities or metropolitan areas in the country. So that outflow of people and talent is unfortunately still the case. So that's very much the same. Uh, in terms of differences, though, there is, uh, from what I see, and again, some of this may be just a different vantage point. There's there is a uh, there's a strong pro progressive element that I don't recall. I mean, I remember in school, you know, not really reading many, for instance, um, and uh, you know, black authors are learning about the contributions of African Americans and culture and academics and society. But I don't see that so much the case anymore. There's a greater awareness um, of the larger world and the contributions of others in um, in Shreveport. There is a larger influx. So there are a lot of people who are not from here who um, have contributed to a greater, some of that greater awareness. So there is some, there's some, some inputs and some um, that help to I think shape the city and the city is thinking about things in ways that you know they hadn't thought about them before um, and also there's a greater outward looking scope the understanding that we can't be so insular and have to look to solutions that they may not come from you know right at home but we may, may come from outside but also I've noticed sort of in um, you know Louisiana in general, there's a lot of that insularity. It seems like structures and laws and, and systems are set up to try to keep people here and focus on um, the people who are here as opposed to looking out and trying to attract folks from other communities and outside the state in terms of preferences that are given for scholarships or tuition, um, consideration for jobs, you know, laws requiring you to have a Louisiana license plate card registration and license and driver's license in the state if you're going to work for the state government which makes it maybe less attractive for people from outside not to get to I guess controversial comments but anyway that's not so much that law itself but just the spirit of it seems to um, and I just know it was well-meaning but the spirit of it seems to maybe be more of an obstacle to the idea that we need to draw in talent um, and uh, to help the city grow. So those are, I guess, some of the differences. I have, it's also interesting um, to me that there are, um, I guess I had seen this then, but I guess it's been more, it struck me stronger now, but the North Louisiana, South Louisiana tension I don't think I thought much about Baton Rouge or, I mean, obviously I knew they were, that was the capital, New Orleans was a place to visit and, you know, Bourbon Street and Mardi Gras and all of that. But I didn't quite appreciate the, maybe I should say the regard or lack of regard that there seems to be in that part of the state for North Louisiana. And some of that has to do with the fact that that's a part of my job. I'm so it's chief counsel of LSU, but I'm part of the larger LSU system. And then we have a joint venture, um, LSU, Health, LSU Health Sciences Center Shreveport with Oshner, which is based in New Orleans. So I'm on calls and a lot of dealings with folks who are in that part of the state. And it's, um, and it's and I'm sure no surprise to a lot of people who are watching here, but came as a bit more of a surprise to me than I had appreciated the, the um, it's not necessarily, it's not animosity, but just the, uh, the, the lack of, I said, I guess I said lack of regard, but there is a, a feeling that I guess there's a, that Shreveport's 
ideas or Shreveport's ability to contribute or North Louisiana's contributions to the state are not as strong as those of, and, there, and the talent up here is not as strong as those in South Louisiana. And, you know, whether that is or is not objectively true, there should be a greater sense of partnership and um, collegiality and oneness, and I don't see as much of that. Um, we're kind of maybe more of an afterthought too often. Uh, we're up here in the hinterlands, they see, which is just strange. I mean, I grew up here, so I mean, maybe if I grew up in New Orleans, I'd feel the same way. But I would hope that um, people uh, in those part of the state would kind of get over that and, um, and appreciate us for who and what we are. Sorry, that was really maybe seemed meandering or long, but anyway, thank you for letting me, you know, go there. Absolutely, no, that was fantastic. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and some of what you said brings me to my next question. So if Shreveport Bossier had five to 10 Carranza Priors every year who we exported for college, but who then returned to live here, I can't even imagine how much better this community would be for it. What's the secret from your perspective? How do we get more of our exceptional kids like you to want to come back here to live? Well, some of it is, I guess, opportunity, of course, you know, jobs. A lot of, and I've, have, you know, have friends who I grew up with who live in other places, and we've talked a little bit about this, and one of the things they say, well, the, the job that I have wherever I am, you know, usually it's a larger city, they don't, that opportunity is not in, Shreveport. The thing that I do now, I couldn't do in Shreveport because those employers, um, those industries, are not there. So, as any community needs to do, the you know, recruitment of companies and industries is key. So that you know, that's one thing, and that's an easy. It's easy for me to say. I know that's something that people. It's not like no one's been working on that or are working on that. We are. So that's that's one. Some of it also is. Some maybe more cultural, and I come at this from a particular point of view. But some people may not be attracted to the idea of coming here if they're in a to a community where they're. I don't know. Although I know, as we speak, this is being changed. There's a Confederate statue in front of the courthouse that doesn't feel particularly welcoming, and and the resistance and insistence on on keeping it there. So. And then there's generally, you know, the, you know, conservative nature now, um, ideas, and that's just something that may not be able to be helped. But you know, a number of people who, at least who I've been around, would be more, they, be more drawn to come back and be in this community if they felt that there were more people like-minded than they are. Now, again, I appreciate it. We don't all need to think the same way about anything. And in fact, one of the reasons that I. You know, tried to sell coming back here to my wife, who's not from Shreveport, as well. We have so much of this of people self-segregating and, and segmentation of society. You people going to areas where they are more comfortable, where people think like they are. But the only way for this community, this country, to progress is if we have greater interaction. And so, you know, even though I mean, obviously, not everyone. In Shreveport, they may not think like I do or agree with my ideas, and but there are a lot who do. So it's uh, let's go back and let's have civil conversations. We're not we're not here to proselytize, though. Um, a uh, someone who I know this community knows very well, Mac McCarter. I knew him years ago, and one of the things he said that always you know has stuck with me is that you know Christ, and I guess with the the why I feel I can say this, you know Christ didn't didn't preach or didn't convert by beating people over the head about things. He just, you know, he did, he lived his life, he, he preached his word, um, and, you know, people just have to come to that. And again, I'm not here to try to convince anyone to think the way I am, but at the very, but I do want people to, to be civil and to be open-minded and to, um, and to understand that what's important is that we kind of come together and we all, we have problems that all of us have to deal with and we have to come to, um, you know, try to solve those together. I think education, you know, wanting to uh, improving our educational system, I mean, that's something every community, most communities would say. 
that our as well as our health care um, outcomes you know this area not just North Louisiana but also somewhat the region have poor health care outcomes the the prospects for children born here are not very good um, those statistics bear that out so one of the reasons I wanted to come to LSU Health Science Center is because that's obviously a big factor in trying to change that and that's the work that that um, that institution does uh, but actually more than anything that I could do I think the biggest contribution I made was bringing my wife here to work there she's an actual physician who's on the front lines of making those changes and, and wisely the school has put her and is putting her in a position to uh, have a direct impact on those outcomes and trying to turn things around so I, I don't know maybe at four I guess but also just I think having people go out having um, uh, things like this where you know you interview and have people of different perspectives speak kind of saying why why they've come back to Shreveport would be helpful so someone who might be have that spark in them see this that spark will ignite and actually lead to them wanting to come back whether it's because families here whether it's because they want to you know some nostalgic reason whether they want to they decide well I want to make a difference in the world and I'm going to start in my uh, my hometown Booker T Washington once famously said um, drop your bucket where you are and rather than looking somewhere to make your mark or contribution right at home is where you can start and talk a little more about health outcomes what does that mean exactly because um, I'm not so oh, sorry familiar with that right um, I, I, that, that term. So I mean things as basic as life expectancy, um, uh, childhood morbidity. Uh, you know, when a child is born, the likelihood that child is going to survive. You know, um, the one that likelihood that the the mother is going to survive childbirth. Also, the the prospects of that child that they're going to survive. Um, also, the rates of cancer. Uh, the incidence and then deaths from cancer are are high in North Louisiana, disproportionately so. I mean, we don't have this, for, even within the state, if you compare us to South Louisiana, obviously more people, population, and there are more people in South Louisiana, yet our incidence and, um, and outcomes and consequences of cancer are more severe in North Louisiana. And what, what do you attribute, uh, people attribute that to the the level of physician care? People attribute that to the lack of health and wellness uh, in this part of the country? Uh, what, 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 are, what are the main causes to some of those um, more negative health outcomes? So there are many people who are more qualified to answer that than I am. So, but I would say that some of the factors are like you've identified some of them. One, we need more and better, you know, primary care physicians in this area because a lot of these issues can be. It's a matter of that they haven't been addressed, you know, initially. They haven't been diagnosed quickly enough and then dealt with. So that's right. And there's a great effort to try to increase the number of physicians, particularly primary care, internal medicine physicians in the area. And then that would actually help feed some of the other factors such as, you know, diet. Uh, I mean, improve those areas such as diet, um, getting, seeing your doctor on a regular basis. Also, I guess violence is a part of it, which kind of goes into, you know, more of the criminal justice system as opposed to the health. But, um, you know, rates of from homicide or other factors like that, so those are some of the some of the issues. And there may be some that are um, access to health care. Uh, the growth, as you know, largely out of because of COVID, but of telehealth and telemedicine, may be a, a way of really trying to uh, counter that. Because if people if, if they can't get to the physicians, we can use technology to get um, the physicians to people and help them to, you know, and improve their, their health and their lives. So those are some of the, some of those factors um, that may, that may help. And then, you know, poverty, uh, when you're, in order to, you know, have a healthy, healthier diet and live in a healthier community, which affects your, you know, your life expectancy, 
a lot of that's a definite um, direct result of your resources. So those are all sort of factors that unfortunately this area is not doesn't really um, is not great at doesn't come out great on studies. So those are factors that we can can try to address. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sure. Sure. Okay, so I, I tend to like this next question. Um, you, you have a friend from Harvard who has never been to Shreveport Bossier before come to stay with you. He or she is only in town for one full day. Where do you take him or her to give a sense of your Shreveport Bossier? Wow. Well, the first thing is I would take him or her to a couple of places to eat, um, sort to get a po' boy, and um, or you know fried catfish or shrimp. So and there are a lot of places you could choose from. So the uh, so the food and what they can and you know which is great, which is great here. So that's one thing. I'd take them to um, see the the Red River and um, the like Cyport and Barnwell and those facilities there. I guess I should take them to the casino as well. I don't <laughs> frequent that too much. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, you know that's definitely been a real staple in this community um, since then. I would also go by the courthouse that I refer to, but not so much to see any you know statue, but it's a really it's a, actually an historic building. Harry Truman, um, the president um, at the end of World War II, when he was um, kind of a, a bureaucrat in Missouri, he was working on studying, you know, their construction of a courthouse there in, in Missouri where he's from, and one of the, and he toured, and one of the places he came was to Shreveport to look at our courthouse as a model for, for there. So anyway, it's, there's a lot of beautiful architecture in this community. So probably showing some of, also taking around to see some of the churches, particularly some of the, you know, older historic ones like you know, Holy Trinity, Holy Cross, um, to see not only for the, the architecture, but showing how important um, that religion is in this community is that kind of yeah absolutely yeah, so. and where do you go to church if I may ask? so actually I go to uh, which is a another story uh, but first Presbyterian church here I did not grow up in that church coming here but in one of my in our wanderings when we were in North Carolina we joined the uh, Presbyter- Presbyterian church and have kind of stayed with that denomination my family and what church did you grow up going to here? Actually, New Hope Baptist Church, which is on um, Hearn Avenue, near the corner of Hearn and Harp. Okay. Uh, the build, I think they they rebuilt the building, but that's where I grew up. And before that, my family, so when I say before that, um, before I was born even, my mother uh, and grandparents were members of Little Union Baptist Church, which is historic, a historic church here. And then they, uh, they left and helped found uh, and form New Hope Baptist Church. I guess that would have been in the 50s or 60s or so. Yeah, and this isn't one of my questions, but just hearing you say grandmother, mm-hmm. I don't know if we're talking about the mothersheds. We are, that's what I'm talking ta- about. Talk a little bit about kind of the mothersheds and your grandparents and just what their involvement was in the community. They were very, I think, uh, very important to this community. So give us a little background of who they were and some of the aspects of the community in which they were involved. Sure, well, thanks. So yeah, my grandparents were um, Reverend Carranza and Lillian Mothershed. So Carranza is how that name came into my, my family. He was named for the president of Mexico when he was born in East Texas, Bloomberg, Texas. And we it's a last name, but we use it in our family as a, a first name. But my grandma, so he was from East Texas, um, but my grandmother's from Shreveport. And as far as I know, even her grandparents were from this area. So we go way, way back, at least that far in this community. And she was born in 1919 and grew up, um, I guess now it's the Pine Hill Road in North Louisiana, almost to Blanchard, and would talk about her grandfather walking her downtown to go to the store. But she was in education. Um, She was she started out teaching in a one-room schoolhouse in Rodessa 
for like grades one through high school, and she was the one teacher in there. She was uh, she went on to work in uh, materials or in materials resource. Basically, kind of she got her master's in library studies, and so she helped with at, at the central office, I guess they call it, with the school board, helping to. Um, managing resources for the the black schools because the schools were segregated at the time so making sure you know in charge of making sure like the books and materials that they would go to the the black schools in town she went on to become the principal of and i'm sure i'm skipping a bunch of stuff in her career but she wanted to become the principal of Northside elementary school which is in what's you know we call the cooper road area and so she bought stayed she and um she had in my her, her and my grandfather and my mother and her siblings who grew up in the grew up in the lakeside area, but when she got that job in that area, she moved and bought a house. They moved up there in like 1968 or so, and that's relevant because shortly after she was principal there, um, I hope I can draw the name of it, but in the effort to integrate um, schools in Caddo Parish. Maybe they call it the crossover. That was the name of it. There was a program, among other things, to move administrators in black schools to predominantly white schools, and vice versa. You know, white administrators would go to black schools. So in her case, she was reassigned to become principal at University Elementary School, which you couldn't be further away. <laughs> I mean, from where she had to drive to where she then became principal, from all the way, like I said, up near Blanchard to South Shreveport. And of course, now Shreveport goes even further south. But back then, that probably was as far south, you know, as you could go past cotton fields to get out to university. So, and I can't remember the exact day. It was somewhere in the early '70s. So she became the principal there, and she those. Um, I guess to some extent have been documented, but you know that was a different time, and so there were certain challenges that went there. But she had tremendous um, support um, that helped her through that. One person in particular I mentioned is uh, Katina Boris, who was her counselor, um, and is um, uh, I mean her yeah her, was a counselor there, but was tremendously helpful. Um, uh, Nancy Rayburn, and num- you know a number of people um, who were there in administration and, and were supportive of her. And, it's, and I think she's had a tremendous impact. So much of in, um, you know, life and understanding is just about talking to people and, ha- and having exposure to people. So now you, there's, a, there's a, a, at least 10 years worth of kids who, I don't know, I, mean, I can't speak for them, I'm not sure what their exposure to or how many black people they had come across in their lives, but they had a black principal and you know, black teachers somewhat as a result of having a black principal. And wherever they go, wherever they live, whatever they're, whoever they vote for, whatever their leanings, that will always stick with them. And I think her, um, her manner, her professionalism, her effectiveness, I've never heard, everything I've ever heard has been positive about the influence and the work that she did, not just those kids, but their parents and their families. So I think she had a tremendous impact on achieving her immediate purpose, which was helping to integrate the schools, but also helping to change, or not so much change, but create the proper perceptions that we're all we're all just alike, you know, we all work hard and you can't judge a person just because of, you know, the color of, of their skin. My grandfather, like I said, born in East Texas, and even though they lived in Shreveport, he really kept hot, hewed strongly to those ties. He was a pastor. He came to that later in life. Like I said, they were members of Little Union and he was, you know, he was a deacon and like the treasurer of the church, but was not a pastor. But as an adult, I, I had been born at this point, he, he found the call and and he went back to pastor his the church he grew up in Bloomberg, um, but he didn't move. I mean, his family was here, so and Bloomberg was just an hour away. But I mean, all growing up, I, it was a regular thing. You know, at least twice a week, sometimes five times a week, he and the, and she would drive to Bloomberg to pastor that church and then to attend all of the different. Um, East Texas or Texas Baptist associations and meetings. It was a constant thing. And then going to the National Baptist Convention and, and um, Congress of Christian Education. So that was very in, big part of my life in following them around and, and the influence they had. So in his, um, like I said, he come late, came late to life to being a pastor. He 
wanted to um, get a, a divinity degree and New Orleans Theological Seminary offered one and they had a satellite at Broadmoor Baptist Church. So he actually enrolled and I mean he had to have been in his 70s maybe, maybe 60s, I have to get the dates right, but was a student and the Times here did a, an, an article on that and he was a student um, and received his degree from New Orleans Theological Seminary at you know as a, a grandfather. Tom Harrison, um, Dr. Tom Harrison, I know you've had here before. Um, he got to, they got to meet through that. Um, that and Tom was terrific. Tom's been a great friend to me as well. So, um, and I think you know a lot of my grandfather was beloved not only in East Texas but also here. Um, my grandmother may have had the more remarkable sort of influence in terms of you know people knowing her and having been in education remembering her and her contributions and she made a lot of friends in a lot of different you know areas politically legally um, medically um, so people here in Shreveport tend to remember her more but they were definitely a team and, and much loved by my folks so I hope that was somewhat in answer and like I had mentioned earlier you know your father and my grandmother were great friends yeah I didn't know most of that so that's great <laughs> all right so this this next question might be slightly unfair with with no easy answers but the question is how do we grow as a community into something that more closely resembles Birmingham, Charlotte, or Atlanta? Well, that is, I mean, that's the question, isn't it? Uh, well, bold, and this is so so trite, I guess, but bold leadership is, is a big part of it. Um, being, you know, creative and thinking of ways of changing structures and relationships that that will work for uh, attracting business and talent um, here. The Health Sciences Center is a tremendous asset to the community so focusing on making making it maintaining its viability and growing it it's an opportunity to you know people coming to work there is a way of bringing other ideas and other communities and other families to Shreveport, and it already has. So our, all we can do, to, and I don't just say that as an employee of the institution, but I think you know anyone who, would, who cares about Shreveport would say the same, continue to support and build it and making sure that it it stays here is, uh, not that there's a fear of it, of it leaving, you know, imminent threat of that, but those, that would be, that would be very important. Um, I would, I mean, Birmingham, one thing I think that grew it is it, it was, it, it was flexible. I mean, Birmingham, actually, I, having lived there, I spent a good deal of time, even before, well, I spent a good bit of time studying Birmingham's growth and actually being a part of that community. That was a real formative time in my life. So Birmingham, as everyone knows, sort of started out as a steel town. It, it grew, it, it was founded because it was, uh, had a unique, um, it was unique in that three, three ingredients for making steel were all located there. Um, and, and so industry came and the steel industry grew up. But, you know, as that sort of died out, the city was able to transition into other areas, in particular healthcare. And the University of Alabama, Birmingham, has been a real driver of that community. And the effort to make to build up that medical institution is part of a, a, a an undergraduate, a whole university or campus as well. But building up the the medical component um, has really done a lot to to grow to Birmingham. And then the the the. The businesses that sort of supported that have just helped that community to grow. Atlanta has been a study of, for its in history of really boosterism and promoting itself. It's had a, it was, one of the things that helped it is it has always had a strong middle class, uh, a business civic elite. And when I say elite, I don't, I don't mean that they were elitist in the sense that you often hear that bandied about now, but 
they were um, people who who's but they're and they were people who had businesses and were they were truly invested in the community and as as the community grew and thrived so their businesses and their livelihoods would grow and thrive so you know Atlanta became known as the city too busy to hate because they knew that racial strife was not good business that was not a good way of drawing people to making it attractive particularly people from say the north that were certainly turned off by by that as well as its own you know black community who would want to leave if you know in a and wouldn't want to live if they had the opportunity to live in a community that was stifling and didn't present and provide opportunities or equal opportunities for them so having that leadership from that segment meant that when conflict was on the rise was on the horizon they quickly and step they quickly stepped up and they brought parties together to say we've got issues, let's deal with them, but let's deal with them in a way that reflects positive, positively on us and doesn't tear down this city. And so that that's the bold leadership that I'm talking about. So and that's largely about crossing lines, cultural, racial, economic, and getting people together to pursue that common cause of growing the community for themselves, for their children, for posterity. And then Charlotte um, has been you know, they were able to, they were really kind of a, interestingly a strong banking center. Uh, you know, at one point, two of, I think, the five largest banks in, or four largest banks in the country were based in Charlotte. And even though that's not necessarily the case so much, those are still very strong industry. It's a very strong industry in Charlotte. So, and it has attracted a lot of people from outside the community who live there and they've brought their ideas and all in that mix has caused other industries to grow. So in Charlotte's case, I would say a large part of its growth is the fact that it's been really open to outsiders coming in. I mean, one of the if you go to Charlotte, it's and you meet someone who's from Charlotte, much less who's got from the generations of Charlotteans, that's a rare find. So I would think it's openness and um, it's openness to bringing other people in to help to bring their talent and their thoughts and their new ideas has been have been things that have grown grown it. So, I guess in sum, I would say from those examples and having lived in those places, building our health sciences center here, um, give looking to our business you know our business owners entrepreneurs for leadership and giving them a real say um, in all strata of our you know, society, of our community and issues. And also, like I said earlier, really inviting and encouraging people to come and take a look, whether it's my friend from, my classmate from Harvard or, you know, the listener's, you know, cousin from California. Um, it's a very livable place. It's a place, you know, if, you know, the, it's this great value kind of use an economic term, to come here and to help build something. And not only will you um, reap those benefits, you know, economically, but also in just the satisfaction of having really made a difference in a place, which is what you're doing here and which I really applaud. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, go back, because um, I was going to ask you a little bit about the statement, bold leadership right. anyway, and you, you talked a little bit about it. but. I mean, what is what is that DNA? What does that person look like? What do they feel like? What is, what 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 are the characteristics that make up a bold leader? Is it someone that doesn't care what anyone else thinks? Is it someone that um, is 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 fully invested in making their community a better place and isn't isn't corrupt? Isn't doing it for um, ego? Isn't doing it for financial gain? I mean, what what what? You're in a laboratory. I mean, you you you've been a uh, a leader uh, for most of your life. I mean, what what is that? What exactly defines a bold leader? And what are some of those character traits that you associate with someone who you would describe as such? Well, I think you actually touched on two of the key parts of you know what makes up that person. One, um, they they don't care about what others think of them. But I don't I don't mean in the sense that they then. Try in in they don't care about what others think in service of their own self interest, but they don't care what others think in there as they pursue what's in the best interest of the community, and they're willing they're 
they're not so beholden and tied to remaining in office or remaining or keeping their position or whatever advantage that has given them, but they put the community and the best interests of the community first. Maybe that means for a short tenure, but hopefully not. And then people are wise enough and and thirsty enough for someone to help guide them that 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 person will find the support they need to continue to be a voice and a leader in our community. So, um, so that also by bold leadership, I guess I mean being willing to look outside. Um, you know, I know our mayor has brought in folks from Harvard Business School to bring their ideas um, to to this community. I think that's you know a wonderful idea. So being you know, open to that sort of thing, but also um, being willing to, not just being willing, but, you know, rep, truly representing this entire community, not staying in your, or trying just to strictly appeal to your base or your constituency. You know, maybe, you know, analysts or consultants will tell you that's the way to continue to be in office, but, you know, I, if you're my, if you represent this community, or if you, even if you just represent a part of this community, I want to see you in every community around here. And yes, you may go into places that may appear to be hostile, but you've got to go there. I mean, that's what you signed up for. You have to uh, you have to take into account all of the interests here. And that's you know, I don't just deny that that's that's difficult. You know, we all want to be loved. We all want to um, stay in our comfort zones in a large way and if there's a, a path that allows us to to hold and wield power and sort of uh, avoid conflict there's great temptation to take that but you you can't do that so bold leadership looks looks bigger than that and it um and you make and you're not going and understands that you're not going to be able to you know satisfy everyone um but you're going to do your best and accept that it's not about you. And I know I'm saying things that are not, these are time, you know, these are timeless sort of values and, um, and attitudes, but they- And how does someone hold. become that? Like who, 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 who makes a bold leader? How does someone evolve or develop into that person? Are they taught that? Are they taught that by their parents? Are they taught that by, uh, what 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 leads someone to become that person? How to? Do... I think it'd be a lot of things. I think you're right. It could be something. It's just the way that you're you're raised um, can do that. Uh, I mean, I have to say that you know, practically speaking, some of it could just be someone who you have to have the the wherewithal. For instance, if you um, if you have, and that's maybe why we see so many really affluent or wealthy people as politicians because they. With, regardless of how their political career pans out, they're still going to be able to support themselves and their family. So, and they can they can say what they have to say and don't have to without having to be worried about saying something that will um, that will appeal to some potential donors. So, and maybe that's why we need some type of comp campaign finance reform so that we don't have to just so that it's not only those who are wealthy who can have that kind of independence that a bold leader would need to have. So in our um, making it, um, I know there's got to be also some way of, and I know I talked about having to be having courage, which is I guess what it boils down to, to go into communities and to face the criticism and to look people in the eye who may you know disagree with you and deal with them. But you know these days sometimes that's seems to have been actually become dangerous. Um, and so we have to, so that person has, I guess, has to have, have an ability to, one, not only have the courage to, to cross those lines, but also an ability to, to build relationships even where there is great difference. Um, so those are, I guess, some of the, some of the factors or some of the things that we need that bold leader to have and do. Uh, it would be great if the community would support that um, and maybe we can set up some institutions or resources that even, you know, in the face of hostility that will still, you know, buttress those people so they can continue to the next day go back out into the fray and, 
and try to work, do the work to build this community. Does that make yeah, some sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like you almost have to have someone who's willing to risk everything, risk risk everything financially, risk potentially their their life to 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 make uh, make this sort of progress. That or, sounds dramatic, but it's, you're not far off. I think you're right. It it um it it may require it may require that. And I know some of it just may be um, being able to. It's just it's like a, maybe you're born with it to some extent. Just people who are able to have those difficult conversations and not personalize it too much or be so so terribly defensive that it in, in raising who kind of bring the temperature down as opposed to escalating matters, if that's possible. Okay, so we're down to our final two questions. They're shorter uh, in terms of the in terms of the length of the questions. You can you have as much. Room well, it's not the as, questions; it's my responses. No, that's, been, <laughs> that's been the problem. No, they're fantastic. <laughs> this is what we want. All right. So the first question is, and and you've covered this a little bit, but what makes you prideful of Shreveport Bossier? Well, one is just being from here, and you sit like. Uh, being from here personally, my family's being from here um, for generations, and thankfully, I, I'm proud of their contributions here. So um, that's that's a big part of it. I, this is probably going to sound totally trivial, and um, but I, I'm, I I'm prideful. I don't think there is another city named Shreveport. Um, you know, anywhere. So, and I know there, that that would be strange if there were, given the origins of our name. But I, I, I kind of take pride. Even though I, I live in Atlanta, but there's an Atlanta, Texas, and Atlanta, Georgia. I, again, maybe silly, but I actually take some pride in that. I also, I take pride in the fact that you know I've talked about the lot of the people who've left and gone to other places. But I know I kind of take a good deal of pride. In that those accomplishments, I mean, there's some there's strong I mean, there's there's rich soil here that's grown that you know these people. I mean, and I'm to attempt to name them as I know futile, but I you know Johnny Cochran, um, you know Terry Bradshaw, or who spent some time here. Charlie Cook, you know the Cook Political Report went to high school at Captain Shreve. Um, you know my parents. Um, my, they're you know friends of mine who are out, you know whether they're in Washington D.C. or Chicago, uh, or Atlanta, who are, um, or in schools, you know, in Ivy League or at University of Arkansas, who are doing well, making good names for themselves and reputations. And when they do that, they do they that reflects so well upon Shreveport. So I take pride in in all those things and. And the promise of the future. I mean, I really do think that, you know, this is a, it's kind of a, this is, there's great value here. And I'm glad to, you know, to be here and look forward to the opportunity to see this community not only just, you know, struggle to survive, but to thrive. And then lastly, Carranza, uh, similar, um, but what makes you, what makes you hopeful? About the Shre- about the future of Shreveport Bossier. Well, I'm hopeful because of one the number of people who I see working and committed to it, and these could be people who've lived here for you know all their their lives, or people who are new to the community. But I meet so many who are concerned about um, you know what this city is going to look like in the future also today and a lot of that reason maybe because they have children who are here who live and are in school and they're worried as they should be as we all should be about their safety their education their prospects so I see so many people here and very talented and bright people who um, who have who share those concerns and working not only independently but together to make that um, to make the future brighter here see a lot of natural resources that um, that bode well for us I think it's a I think it's a beautiful area just looking around um, not only the, the waterways with Cross Lake and the Red River 
and the the communities out surrounding communities out, outside of Shreveport. So there's a lot of there's a lot of just natural beauty here. That and it, also the fact that it's not so crowded. I've I've lived in communities that are really tight, where it can take you you know take you two hours to drive two miles at certain times of the day, but you don't have that problem here. There's more elbow room. And I think that just me that leads to more that probably opens opportunity for there to be more hospitality and civility because we're just not so much on top of one another. So we don't you know we don't have to become New York City, but I think that we can um, there's a great opportunity for us to grow, uh, to attract more people here, bring other ideas, and you know, I tell you, if nothing else, if we could get a Trader Joe's here, that, that, I think we would have met our we would have met our goal. That, that'd be a game changer. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I, but I'm really hopeful. I, you know, I'm hopeful because my wife is here. Um, she she's a remarkable, dynamic person, and like I said, the, the greatest contribution I could make was to have her here, and she's doing a lot of that work and trying to. Um, to, to address the health disparities here um, in this community. And she's done more than I have to try to recruit talent to come here. Um, you know, I hope not to to jinx it, but there is, there's, no, there's no, no geriatrician here in, in a community that has you know, a lot of people who could use that, and she's recruiting um, someone to come here to do that. So... Uh, so just because she's here, I'm very hopeful for this community as well. Well, I'm hopeful with sitting across from people like you. Uh, we're so super and so fortunate to have you back here, and uh, I'm just uh, I'm excited to see what the future holds with Carranza Pryor back at home, <laughs> and uh, look forward to seeing much more of you and really appreciate you doing this. Well, it's good to be home. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.